It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Nick Gill. Nick, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show. We, uh, we know you're a busy man at the moment. Uh, and for those that don't know, uh, Dr. Nick Gill is the current uh, and has been for 13 years the strength and conditioning coach for the New Zealand national rugby side, the New Zealand All Blacks you might have heard of for those uh, outside of Australia New Zealand, if you've been living under a rock somewhere. And that's not your only talent, Nick. What else What else have you got in that repertoire of yours? Oh, gee, didn't see that coming. Um, oh, look, I, um, I've been doing this for a while. I've been a professional S&C coach for about 20-odd years, and um, and I suppose um, in that time I've, you know, I pride myself on my sports science knowledge and research and trying to keep learning and keep sort of playing around the fringes. So um, I suppose that's something else I do. And what else? Um, I I enjoy dabbling in Ironman, so I dabble in Ironman a little bit, and um, and I grow avocados. So that's me. <laughs> it's a very very uh, very quick overview of your many talents. Don't worry, I'm going to expose all of them because uh, you are an extraordinary individual, Nick. And I and in in pre- pre- sort of preparing for this uh, this interview, um, it was really exciting sort of getting to know you, and and you know you talk about. Uh, dabbling in in Iron the Ironman competitions. Uh, first question: Are you going to make the Cairns Ironman later this month? No, no. I wish I actually was entered. Um, I was entered, but we can't get over there and do it because of obviously the travel restrictions we're under at the moment. So I've had to, I've had to um, transfer my entry to next year. So um, yeah, I'll be coming over to Aussie. All things going well um, next May June to to do an Ironman over there then. So fingers crossed we we can get over there. <clears throat> well, when you say dabble, I've had a look at some of your times over the last couple of years, and it looks like you've done at least three that I can that I can find uh, with a personal best of 9.38, which put you second in your age group. And and just for my own morbid curiosity, how old are you, Nick? Now 45, yeah. So 45. Yeah, when I got that second, I was in the forty to forty-four year year old group. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm um, I'll do okay for an old fella. Well, trying trying to get <coughs> Kiwi men to big note themselves on this show has proven a challenge in the past, particularly with people like Sir Steve Hansen, who you know we had on the show. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's it's what really uh, was amazing is that you practice what you preach, and you know you you are working. With and I was, I was trying to sort of work out the maths on this. The All Blacks, you know, not trying to blow smoke here, but are about the most successful sporting team on the globe and is constantly recognised with the Halberg Award, which is the, the best international sports team of the year. Uh, you're literally the best of the best. And I'm just curious to know where did this all start? Talk me through the young man, fresh out of high school, Nick Gill. Mm, wow. Gee, it's a, it's a wee while ago, so I'll see if I can piece together a little story. But um, I suppose, um, yeah, I, like when I was younger, I wanted to be a policeman. So um, that was sort of, you know, up until I was about 16. And I, I mean, I took typing at school. Um, we knew a few, the family had a few policemen friends and they all said to me, if you're going to be a cop to, to learn how to type so that at the end of the day, you can get your reports all done nice and fast. So 
started typing at school. Um, I was the only boy in, in the typing classes for two years. Um, you know, surrounded by girls, learned to type. So it was, it was. Um, I was pretty serious about it. And then I started doing sports science and really enjoyed that and started doing pretty well at it. And and then I don't know, I don't know what when the this this the the switch was flicked, but all of a sudden I went off the the police force and um and decided actually. I wanted to pursue sports science, and what did that look like? There was no jobs back then. It was in the, it was in the early nineties, and um, and sort of, you know, I got I got pulled out of class one day to say, "You're going to go to university." Um, I wasn't sure. I hadn't even thought about it. Um, anyway, long story short, I went to Dunedin, which is um, bottom of the bottom of New Zealand, to study PE, physical education, and did a degree down there, and had a time of my life, and. Um, and and learned a lot about sport um but when i finished the degree i still didn't really know how it was going to create a job for me or a career um but at that stage the australian institute of sport was starting to get quite big and, and powerful and famous for the athletes and the work they were doing in sports science and, and sort of cutting edge um physical preparation and and, and i suppose performance um so I sort of finished my degree and thought, well, I don't know enough to get a job. There are no jobs, so I need to go back and study more. So I ended up going to Australia to do my PhD. Um, yeah, the funny thing is I got an Australian scholarship. So they paid me, the Australian University paid me, I think it was about $20,000 tax-free a year um, and no fees and things. So I went over there and did a PhD, learned from all of them and, and came straight home. Um, and basically started volunteering with rugby teams, volunteered to work with the Waikato rugby team in about 2000. Um, and, yeah, like the next year they were paying me, and the next year I was sort of three-quarter time, and, and since then I've been sort of full-time. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of – I never really had a dream of working with the All Blacks. I mean, I always wanted to be an All Black, but I was never – um, I was never good enough um, to, you know, I was always going to be a battler. Um, and so I figured the next best thing, if I can't compete, was to maybe work alongside these athletes. And, and you know, originally it was to go to the Olympics um, and work with some some athletes at the Olympics was probably probably a dream of mine. And um, But rugby sort of took over that dream and, and I've been, yeah, doing what I love ever since. Um, yeah, it's been a hell of a journey. Yeah, well, it's, it's, there's a great lesson in there, Nick, and, I, and you sort of glossed over it a little bit, um, and I'll keep pulling up on this if I can. You know, that uh, that that foray into uh, becoming what you are now started out with some volunteer work, and and you were, you know, you just offered your services and then just, you know, your work ethic came through. I can see there's a history of high performance and everything you've done, even the, you know, you, you ended up with a, a really high qualification from your, your Bachelor of PE at uh, Otago Uni, uh, you know, there's there's been a consistent level of really high performance. And I just want to explore that a little bit. W- where did that come from? No, like I, my, <laughs> my wife actually, funnily enough, asked me where I got my work ethic from the other day because um, I sort of, um, I've always felt that um, um, if you work hard, you create opportunities and you create, um, I suppose, you know, you give your chance, yourself a chance to be successful. Um, and nowadays there seems to be a lot of people that just want to be successful and, and don't put the work hard but in first. Um, and I think maybe it came about, um, <laughs> maybe it came about when I was younger and I remember wanting to get some cool basketball boots Um and back then they were the big white ones with the tongue that you pull out in front of your jeans, you know, sort of the big sort of Michael Jordan talk sort of stuff. Um, and I remember my mum saying, look, you don't look after your shoes, so we're not going to buy them for you. But if you, if you save up, we'll go your halves. Um, anyway, I tracked down a neighbour to see if he could, I could mow their lawns. And sure enough, they let me mow the lawns and, and I decided, well, and I don't know what happened, but, I turned just mowing the lawns into I weeded their garden, I did the edges, I hosed off their driveway and their paths, and I, you know, I pruned trees and flowers. I was only like 12. Um, 
And I remember the the owners of the house coming home going, holy, what has this young kid done? You know, like, I think they offered me 20 bucks to do the lawns. They ended up giving me 50 bucks. Wow. And so, like, I, I can only think that that was sort of when, when things turned around a little bit where I realised, actually, if I work real hard, more than what people expect, put more into it than than what's normal, um, you know, you, you get it back in spades. Um and so, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe it happened back then when I was twelve. I'm not sure, um, but it was definitely just something that I just, I just loved working hard and and seeing seeing the result. Um, and I suppose that's what I do now. Well, if if we can talk about your childhood just a little bit um, in a bit more detail, Nick, Mum and Dad, what did they do for work? Um, Mum and Dad, and this is where my interest in the police force came along. I think Mum and Dad both worked in the. Um, wholesale alcohol industry so they they did managed um, and they did own some shops as well you know liquor outlets um, and so dad was always in that industry um, and but at night he'd volunteer and go out with the police um, so he'd work from he'd work from 8 a.m till 6 p.m and then he'd be on the graveyard shift with the cops from 7 p.m till 3 a.m um, and I think that's where my interest in police force came because he'd get up in the morning to go to work you know, would have four hours sleep, and he'd be so pumped and so excited about, you know, what he what he was part of the night before with the cops. Um, you know, and, and it was all volunteer for him. He volunteered for all that stuff. Um, it was never. It was. I think it was officially a civil defence officer, so he had no rights. Um, he just helped. You know, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what they did, and they and they, they both worked really really hard. Um, and and. Yeah, I suppose maybe I got some of my work, work ethic from 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 them. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it might have been a pretty. Um, I mean, when you, when you just observe that type of thing as a kid, and the reason I ask that question, Nick, is that a lot of the a lot of the content that we explore and tried to explore on this on this podcast in particular has been, uh, you know, through my own journey, I've I've had demons that I've you know been able to conquer. And for that, I'm really, I'm really grateful and blessed that I was able to figure out a lot of these things that you know potentially could have ended my life early, prematurely. And and I, I'm a child of divorce, you know, parents that did the best they could with the tools they had available. And and I and I love exploring this because it it seems like the the more functional the childhood you can have. The better you are set up for the rest of your your adulthood, and there's a reoccurring theme, uh, not just with the guests we've had on the show, but a lot of the a lot of the superstars that I've been um, observing. Um, you know, like the the Dan Carters and the Richie McCalls of the world, both have really, on the surface, it seems really functional childhoods. They've got really supportive parents that do lay down that that really amazing work ethic, and it just sets you up. You know, and and look at what you've been achieving over the last X amount of years. It's it's really great, and and just for people listening that maybe didn't get such a great role model growing up, what are some of the the attributes um, that you've passed on? Because you got two children, both in yeah, their teens now. Yeah. 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 So what what are some of the attributes that you make sure that you're passing on to them that are really powerful? Um. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good question. Um. I suppose, um, I mean, I've been I've been fortunate to be doing what I love, um, you know, ever since I left home. Pretty much, I left home at seventeen, and and the whole time I haven't really felt like work or 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 my career has been a chore. It's always been fun and exciting and challenging, and you know, not very often do I do I wake up and can't be bothered getting out of bed. It's sort of quite the opposite. Um, so I've sort of tried to, you know, and, and and my wife's the same. Like we we just reflect all the time on how fortunate we are, and and I think that the big thing we try and teach our girls is um is that that's what's most important. Um, is that whatever they pursue, and I don't. I, I mean, my youngest wants to be a ranger in Yellowstone, um, and my oldest wants to work in a lab analysing blood, um, you know, and figuring out how to beat viruses and things, which is reasonably ironic in the with the current pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a busy, laddie. Yeah, because um, we always just said, just just do what you you love doing. So do what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about something, um, you'll kick ass at it. Um, you know, and, and you see a lot of you see a lot of young people around that are driven by money. You know, and it's sort of like, well, 
hey, money's important, but imagine being miserable five days a week, you know, because you're doing a job that, hey, you might get paid really well, but you hate it. Um, and then you've got two days of the week left where you're happy because you're not at work and you've got loads of money. But, gee, over 20 or 30 years, it's a whole lot of misery. <laughs> so so I think we, we really encourage that. And then the other thing is, you know, um, if you want something, if you if you need something, then you just need to problem solve around how to get it. Um, and if that means if that means washing cars, if that means doing some extra work around the house, if that means saving a bit differently, um, you know, respecting money is really really important. But it's not the most important thing. Um, so that probably two things. And then the third thing, which was my wife's amazing at, is just just being a nice person. Um, you know, she has to pull me up on that every now and then because I get a bit gruff and a bit grumpy and a bit, a bit, um, I suppose, um, straight, um, straight to the point. And, and, and so the most important thing is that they're nice people, you know, treat people well and, and, um, and, you know, you want to bring, you want to bring light to a room, not darkness. So, um, yeah, that's probably the three things we try and try and get across our girls. Yeah. Some good stuff there, Nick. And I, and, uh, the, the the next question I have is around uh, with with your your flaws or no, not your flaws the areas of your life that you that you uh, that you know you have challenges with at times. I can imagine being around you know a, a group. And I know it's not just the All Blacks that you do working, but you've spent thirteen years of your life with the All Black squad. Uh, outside of that group just day-to-day human beings, what are some of the attributes that really shit you? Oh, that really shit me from other, from just outside of that group. Anyone, what, yeah. Um, I think um, sort of supports what I said before. Like I think, you know, there's a lot of people around that, that think life's not fair um, and they've been dealt a bad hand. Um, that annoys me because... Um, I think everyone's got the power um, and the opportunity to to make stuff happen, to to get what they want, to to figure out a way forward, and and to be positive. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing is negativity around, you know, people's their own situation or or yeah, just just just. I mean, I call it my wife and I call it sappers. You know, people that sap sap you or your 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 the room or your family or or, or the group of energy um, because everything's bad everything's negative you know that shits me the most is because you know what's the point um, why offload that on everyone else why don't you just get off your ass and do something about it you know um, you know and, and I, it's the same with you know with this current situation with COVID I mean we've we've all been dealt a uh, a crazy scenario and it's affected lots of different people in lots of different ways and. Um, and it's out of everyone's control to a degree. And so, you know, there's not, not a lot of point in worrying too too much about that, but just figuring out how to move forward and how to get out of it. And it's way easier to, 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 to say than do. Um, and I myself, you know, I've been in some, some holes over the last few months just with lack of control of what's going on because of COVID. But, um, yeah, I still, I still know that 95% of the time I need to actually be trying to figure out the way forward rather than worrying about you know, where we're at or where we've been. Well, I mean, this is another thing I want to explore. Like, I mean, you've, on the surface of things, had this most extraordinary life. Has there ever been any periods of your life where things haven't gone great? Um, yeah, um, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Like, you, like I'm, I'm just like everyone else, you sort of have, you have ups and downs, don't you? You have sort of peaks and troughs and, you know, sometimes things are amazing, and sometimes things could be better. But um, you know, like I know that it was it was tough. We had young, we had kids young. Um, you know, we had no money, and I think I was twenty five when we had our first daughter. Um, you know, I remember going shopping for food and having to weigh up whether we got mints or nappies. You know, like um, what do you do? Do you get nappies for your child or some food? And it was sort of that tight. Um, so I suppose that was a tough. Time. I wouldn't say it was a bad time because we had a beautiful daughter, so it was just tough. It was just hard, um, you know. And then, and then I suppose, um, you know, like I did, yeah, I, I, I did give up on the All Blacks in two thousand and four because so I was actually with the All Blacks in two thousand and four as an assistant. I um, was at home with our, young, our 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 daughter, and we just became pregnant again. 
Um, and I remember coming back from my first All Black tour, and she asked me how it was, and I was like, "Oh, actually, it sucked. You know, there was the culture was pretty bad, and I was working my ass off, and it was all for nothing, and 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 I missed my family." And and she sort of she got pretty upset about that because she thought it was my dream, you know. And so we decided that it was more important that we were happy as a family than I was doing my dream job. So I, I left in 2004, left the team, um, wow. which was pretty which was pretty hard, but. But it was because, you know, she was putting on a brave face and as soon as she realised that, hey, I, was, I wasn't I was enjoying it, it was like, oh, man, all that for nothing. Um, so, yeah, we pulled pins. That was a pretty, pretty crazy time, actually. It was a pretty tough time, but um, it was the right thing to do and, and don't regret it at all because, you know, people said to me, no one leaves the All Blacks by choice. You sort of, you, you just... You just get sacked, <laughs> um, and I just, I just said to people, "Don't worry about. It. I'll be back. Don't worry about that. Um, I'll be back in a few years." And sure enough, I was lucky enough to, to get appointed again three years later. So, um, and by that time, we'd had, we'd had a second daughter, and 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 things had improved um, within the culture of the team and the professionalism of the team, and was more aligned to my my sort of ethics and you know desires to be part of something really special rather than. You know, just be just being part of a, an average football team. And that's a it's a great story, Nick, and because you came in as the head strength and conditioning coach, you know, three years later, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I was the assistant in 04. Yeah. How did how did the All Blacks take it when you resigned? Do you remember? Um, yeah, it was funny because they rang me up to say, "Hey, we've just secured funding for you to come away on tour with us for six weeks to Europe." And so the All Blacks had never taken away an assistant. So this was sort of like they were so pumped because they got the funding and they knew it was important and I was going to be part of the part of the movement going forward. And and um, yeah, they were pretty surprised to be fair. Um, the head SNC coach was like, "What do you mean? You know, like you sure we can't make this work?" I'm like, "Nah, the decision's been made, mate. Can't we can't can't do it." Um, he's a great mate of mine, still is. Um, and and it was sort of. Um, yeah, I think there was a little bit of shock, but everyone understood and and respects your decision. And it's and you know, like um, they quickly filled up that space with someone else, and probably didn't look back for three years. <laughs> well, just I was wondering who the person was that took the took the role and how their life has sort of eventuated since. You know, like actually Ashley Jones, an, an Aussie lad. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, Ashley Jones from the he was with the Crusaders at the time, so he he jumped on board and did a great job and. Yeah, so he did. Um, he did three years with the ABs as the as pretty much a strength coach. So, um, yeah, he's a good fella. He's still. He, I don't even know where he is now, but he's travelled the world since with lots of different teams: France, the Islands, um, you name it. Um, so yeah, he's still going. He's he's a happy man as a result yeah, of that decision. Probably. So they talk about never being too old to learn and never being too young to teach. Nick, what has your time with your blacks? taught you about yourself and about human beings in general yeah it's um gee what have i learned i mean i i sort of feel like nearly every day i'm learning um and i love that um and i learn because we're constantly challenged you know like even just just last night all of a sudden you know our world's been thrown upside down because our calendar has just been confirmed um and so we haven't really had a chance to organize a lot because we haven't known what's happening. Um, so you're constantly challenging, well, how do we deal with that, you know, mentally, logistically, um, how do we manage people's expectations and organisation and family? And, and so you're constantly challenging this environment, which I love. Um, and so whilst there's no direct learnings from that, you do learn about how to react and respond into different situations that you're thrown into, and they're all unique. Um, so I think that's probably the thing that I've learned most is that in life, but but in in your in sport, in your career, in, in work and family, um, you have to be so agile. You know, you have to be able to react, um, adapt, adjust um, all the time because um, nothing's plain sailing. And I think that you know those that can adapt and adjust to what's going on around them have have more more chance of success because. You know, it's 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 very rarely do we live in a world that is stable and and, and the same day in day out. Um, and if it is, you're normally standing still. You know, um, and so if if people are wanting to chase chase 
performance, chase success, um, whatever it is they're chasing and they're trying to achieve, then then you have to just keep moving and keep you know adapting and adjusting to what's going on around you. And like even me, I've got you know I'm I'm 45 now, and and you know when I started with the All Blacks, I was I was 32, and I was the same age as some of the players. Um, you know, whereas now I'm sort of you know I'm a bit longer in the tooth, um, and and I'm you know I'm, I'm 20 years older than some of them now, and so that has challenges in its own in its own way because you're now going to figure out how to relate to a different generation, and so I love that stuff because it's just it's it just it just keeps you on your toes. It's awesome. You feel energized by the challenge of trying to relate to 20 year olds um, who know that you've been around for a long time, so they respect you, but you still got to earn their trust. Um, you know, so it's um, yeah, it's it's something that you, you know, like being nimble, being agile, whatever you want to call it, is is the key that I've learned with ABs. Um, and then the second thing is, um, it's just reinforced reinforced my own philosophy of work ethic. You know, we work so hard. The All Blacks work so hard. Um, there's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of pressure. Um, the the history and the legacy of of the team is is so powerful that. It, it expects you to work your ass off, um, and 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 so as a group we we work work work. Um, we put in the time, we put in the effort. We take no shortcuts, and I think that's no different again to how you should lead your life. Um, now, I'm not saying it's all about work and not about fun and enjoying the ride. Um, that's definitely not what I'm saying. But you know, you want to create the opportunities to perform and, and be your best. You've got to put the you've got to put the hard yards in. There's no there's no escaping that. Um, hopefully you can do it with a smile on your face, um, which is something that we, you know, we definitely pride ourselves on is, is doing what we do um, and love loving what we do and enjoying the ride because you don't know how long you're going to be on the, on the bus for, you know. Yeah, and I think you'd, you'd nailed it there, Nick, with regards to the the enjoyment factor. Like if you're doing something that you love, despite the, the huge amount of work involved, a lot of it won't feel, it won't won't drain you. It'll, it'll fill that, that cup. It'll fill that bucket. And I'm I'm very grateful that I've just only relatively recently figured out what I'm put on this planet to do, you know, as a speaker, and and you know I'm just turned forty, and and I and I really also identify with this uh, uh, the youth because I captain a fourth eleven cricket side at Melbourne University Cricket Club, which is a premier cricket club. So the fourth eleven is the feeder club to the higher grades, right? So at the start of last season, we had an average age of 21, including me. So like we got 15 youngest, well, we had, even had 14-year-olds, but usually 15 to sort of 18. Yeah. And the way to connect with the, the youth is not through TikTok, David Warner. It's not through TikTok, mate. <laughs> And I, I I love that too. It keeps me, I don't know. It's, it's like it's like the fountain of youth, sort of being around, you know, these these young kids, and and it sort of leads me to my next sort of point. Um, you know, I, I've I've heard you talk about the importance of surrounding yourself with people that that lift you up, regarding a lot of mindset stuff. You've been in this bubble of the All Blacks for such a long time. Is it easy to forget sometimes that not everyone's like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, my wife keeps me pretty grounded, though. You know, like, um, you're definitely right. Like, there is a there is a bubble to what we do. Um, it's unique. Um, it's not it's not it's not normal. Um, you know, I'm going to be living out of a suitcase for for three months. Um, you know, from pretty much pretty much next week onwards until Christmas. Um, and so that's not normal. Um, and I don't know if you forget, um, but you do definitely need the odd reminder that actually, you know, the people I, I <clears throat> rub shoulders with every day when I am living out of a suitcase are generally not normal people. They're generally high achievers in, in what it is they do. Um, and, we, and I'm talking about management. I'm talking about players. Um, you know, whatever whatever the person's role is in the team, they're generally very, very good at it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. And so, you know, we, you know, I'm constantly surrounded by, um, you know, amazing professionals. And so, that's my day to day. When I'm not in that environment, I do forget sometimes that actually some people aren't as organised as we are in our, in our in our business. And sometimes things take a bit longer to happen. And 
my wife always tells me, you've got to be patient. This isn't the All Blacks, you know. Um, and so, yeah, like our expectations and standards are so incredibly high. Um, and that's why, I mean, we have to have them that high to be successful. Whereas, you know, in, in the real world, if you want to call it that, um, that's not always the case. What's the craziest drill that you've ever invented? And have you have you nearly killed someone as a result? No, no, I keep things pretty simple, mate. Um, the craziest drill. No, I think we push it. We, we, we push some guys pretty hard sometimes, um, and you know, physically. Um, and and I think that um, yeah, I, 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 I don't introduce anything too crazy because you know, if you can imagine, I'm dealing with some a, a number of you know million dollar plus athletes that are really important to our success. So. So risk is not something we like playing with. Um, you know, it's there's there's risk reward, isn't there? And so we we sort of we manage the risk so that we don't hurt anyone and we don't um, put anyone out of being available to play. So you know, I'm pretty conservative in that respect, mate. <laughs> well, we uh, down at Melbourne University, we've got some. Uh, there's been some crazy fitness drills that have involved uh, running hundreds with fully padded with your your gloves and your box and everything. Uh, in the middle of a, a summer afternoon, and uh, that, that will certainly take it out of you. Um, I'm sure there were some beers involved in that, wouldn't there be? <laughs> well, it's funny that the culture of cricket in Australia has, uh, in, from a from a drinking point of view, has really changed. It's become a lot more professional, I think, just in my observation. I've been playing 14 years at the club. That's because there's, there's a lot more builders involved, isn't there? Like with sandpaper and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even get me started. I've still got my New Zealand passport, Nick, so I've got to be careful. <laughs> wow. Uh, we um, we had the privilege of uh, interviewing Ryan Harris on the podcast, and he was also involved with another Melbourne University event recently, and um, he's probably one of the cleanest guys going, and he, I think he's still dumbfounded about how that happened. Um, it was really interesting. It wasn't recorded, so it'll never come out, but he was really perplexed about how that could actually happen. So Crazy, uh, it was really interesting. But I want to explore this book that you wrote. It came out a couple of years ago. It's called Health Yourself. And can you tell us about your book? Well, yeah, I sort of um... – I enjoyed, I enjoyed the process. It was a pretty. It was a pretty cool process. We um, Penguin actually approached me, the publishers, to say, "Hey, we think there's a there's a market for you to write a book." And 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 I said, "Like, are you sure? I'm not sure if I've, if I um, you know have enough in me to be able to, to do that and do it well." Um, but when we kept talking and I started getting excited about some of my messages, um, it became pretty clear that I had some good stuff to say and. I've got some good learnings, and, and I suppose that the book's not about all blacks. It's about other work I do. I sort of, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I suppose, a lifestyle coach. I try and help people get fit and healthy, um, and generally improve body weight or body comp. Um, and so I sort of have been doing that for a few years with the New Zealand, um, the national carrier over here um, with their pilot pilots, and um, so I've learned a great deal of real life coalface challenges that people face so that's what the book's about it's about you know just real life challenges that most people um are faced with and and, and just trying to navigate i suppose all the mixed messages we see and through marketing and through tv and and through all the big companies that dominate that space and trying to try to clarify some blurry areas for people um around exercise around nutrition around sleep things like that so um, yeah, hopefully I've helped a few people. I've had a lot of really good feedback from people that have that have bought the book and said it's really helped them simplify things and get on the right track. So um, it was definitely well worth well worth the effort. And um, yeah, I, I'd like to write another one at some other point in my life, but not sure if that's anytime soon. Well, what are some of the key takeaways from the book for those that haven't uh, read it? And I, hand on heart, haven't had a chance. Only recently found out that you'd written one. Um, but it looks very interesting. Well, I think, um, like I've been on my own journey, you know, like I, 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 um, when I was younger, like I, I basically went to the university and I put on like 15 kilos in 12 months. 
Scruffy um, weight. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Like I went down there as a as a lean, skinny cyclist that could eat anything I saw, um, because I was riding twenty hours a week. Um, but cold down there to ride, so I didn't ride my bike and just keep eating like I was eating, and yeah, fifteen kilos just like that. Um, you know, and then the next year another ten kilos. So sort of the space of two years, I, I was you know, 105 kilos up from up from 70. So um, uh, I suppose, you know, and, and ironically, I was meant to be learning about nutrition at the university and and I learned nothing that was going to help me navigate, you know, I suppose what's out there and, and what's available and and what we think's okay and, and, and what's not. So um, I suppose for me, I learned a lot myself and then, learning about how other people are challenged by by nutrition and, and exercise i sort of suppose the big messages i try to get across in the book is that um you know diets don't work simple as that um you know diets don't work because they're short term and and we might be really disciplined for two months and and lose what we want to lose and then we just we just go back to what we used to do so i suppose the biggest thing i try and get across to most people is you know you need to fuel you need to fuel for what it is you're doing. Um, and typically all the white crappy food we eat, you know, bread and rice and pasta, that's just that's just energy. Um, if we're not burning that, we shouldn't eat it. Um, that's probably my key message. Don't eat that white crappy stuff that's full of energy and no nutrition um, unless you're needing to fuel your car. You know, and the analogy I use for the, for the pilots is, and you'd be blown away. I mean, I asked the pilots, I had one-on-one consults with them and, Ask the pilots, you know, um, you know what 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 keeps the the plane, you know, your jet that you're flying, what keeps it working, you know, and their response is fuel, you know, and and I'm trying to make the analogy to the body, and that well, actually, fuel doesn't make the plane stay function functional. It's the nutrients, you know, it's the oil that you put in the plane, and and um, and so straight away their their thoughts are to stay healthy. I ask the same about them as individuals. What do you need from your nutrition? And they all say fuel. It's all energy. It's completely wrong. I mean, you and I could look ourselves away on a desert island, mate. You know, northern off northern Queensland, and we could survive for a couple of weeks without food. We don't need food. Um, and so a lot of people think they need to eat for fuel, and and I think that's what I try and get across is that you know if you eat a, a, a colourful whole food real um um meals um with a lot of you know low energy content and high nutrient content you'll be very very healthy for the rest of your life um you'll find the weight that's stable for you and you won't put on weight and you'll you'll be you'll be able to fight illness disease um sickness way better because you're full of amazing nutrients and vitamins and minerals so that's probably the key thing is trying to get that, that that energy out of the diet. And then the second thing is exercise. You know, exercise programs don't work for most people. Um, again, oh, I'm going to run a half marathon. So I do that for three months. I run a half marathon, then I stop for nine months. Um, you sort of need to find, you know, biggest thing I try to get across in the book is experiment to find what you love doing. You know, what can't you wait to go and do? Most people, it isn't running. Most people, it is not running. You know, some people love running. I love running. But some people hate it. So why would you go and do it? You know, why not go play cricket and run up and down on, in your full pads and, and, and box, you know? Like, find something you enjoy doing that's physically active and make that your fitness. You know, it could be gardening. It could be digging holes. It could be just walking in the bush. You know, whatever it is, you need to find out what you love and then you'll be physically active because you love doing it. Um, so that probably could be two key messages, you know, experiment with what you you like doing from a physical perspective until you find what you love and then it'll be part of your life forever. Um, and then experiment with how to how to get your your, your nutrition, you know, more colourful and less white um, and more balanced for the activity you do do. Um, I suppose just one, if I've got two seconds, one last thing I love is um, <clears throat> I don't believe that we should avoid food we love. So, for example, mate, I love chocolate. I love popcorn, I love wine and beer, um, and I will eat amazing all day, like so clean, so perfect, so that I can have that at night. Um, and so if mentally for me, it keeps me keeps me sane. Um, and so I give up all the stuff I don't really need, you know, like bread and like pasta and like rice and all that carbohydrate, I give all that up so that I can have the stuff I love, you know, and um, I think that's a nice way of living, you know, like you sort of, 
you don't you don't you don't take yourself away or give or, or don't give yourself stuff that makes you happy, um, because you know it's a it's a it'd be a miserable existence. Yeah, well, this is a really uh, interesting topic and something that's very close to, to close to my heart as well, Nick. Because uh, through my own health journey over the last five years is when I've systematically knocked off drinking and drug use and. Uh, some non-food related gambling and sort of self-destructive behaviour. In that journey, I've also inadvertently cured an incurable autoimmune disease that I had, uh, it, which was good, right? And the, the the after twenty different GPs, two surgeons, two endoscopies, uh, I had it for seventeen years. I was on medication, meprazole or Somac or you know whatever it's called, twenty to forty milligrams a day for seventeen years. I watched one functional medicine guy on Joe Rogan, Chris Cresser. I don't know if you've seen him or seen his work, American guy. And he spoke about the link between uh, gluten and heartburn. I was like, oh, I wonder if it's me. And of course, growing up in New Zealand, like the bakeries and like, it's just, it's insidious, right? And so I cut that out. And this was about six or seven months after I'd quit alcohol. And I and what I suspect has happened is that my gut had an opportunity to heal because I was quite a heavy drinker. And the, the combination of removing that, and I started to feel better. And I went down this rabbit hole of eliminating more and more plants. And and two years ago, I went uh, a period where I've eliminated about 98% of all the plants out of my diet and have been existing on this carnivore diet here, right, which is something that uh, Tim Noakes um, Professor Tim Noakes, who you've heard of, and Professor Peter Bruckner, who wrote the the, the Bible of sports medicine uh, in, in Australia with Khan, um, they've been exploring some of this stuff as well. And I know some of the All Blacks, uh, I think Owen Frank might have been dabbling with with carnivore for a while. But what's happened is I've I've never been a runner, and I started running in May of 2018. Ran my first. Like I was running to and from work, which is about 5Ks. And then I ran my first marathon in May in 356. I ran a 50K in the July in five hours seven. And then I ran my first 100 in September. And I've run a couple since. And, wow. I've, and, and, and I've put on, through DEXA scans and biometric scales, put on eight kilos of lean. But I've also put on half a kilo of skeletal bone density as well, which for running from a, a muscle mass point of view, you would very well know it's a catabolic uh, yep. exercise. So, it, like, isn't that fascinating? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think first of all, um, that you know, the journey you've experienced, you know, a shame it didn't happen sixteen years ago. Um, you know, and and I think that that that's it's it's really important that um, you know, like I'm I'm not a I don't eat carnivore, but I'm definitely a low carb, high fat sort of guy, um, and and. You know, like I think the the key thing that you you've sort of discovered is that you've experimented with something, and it's worked for you, and and I think that that's what people need to do. And when I say experiment, don't just dabble in it. You got to give it a crack and see how you feel. And you know, I know that I know that when I'm low carb, high fat, I'm lean as can be. Um, training's not impacted, sleep's not impacted, everything's great. I feel amazing. My mental clarity is awesome. Um, you know, and and it's a it's a great way to live, um, and I and I suppose you know what you're seeing from a physical perspective is, you know whether whether I mean whether the increase in the skeletal density is an outcome of how unhealthy you were, and it's now you're just getting back to where you should be because you're now exercising and eating better and not doing all those other bad things. That's probably what's happened. Um, yeah. And likewise, the lean mass, you know, you've put on lean muscle because you're now active and fit. Um, your nutrition is probably conducive with the fact you're eating lots of protein is conducive to, to building lean muscle. But don't underestimate the impact of running, putting on muscle that you didn't have. Yeah. You know, like, so, so you've gone from being probably, you know, what I'd like to, what I like to call us, you know, and don't, I'm not, don't take this personally, but you're probably, <laughs> Say it. I don't mind. you're, you're probably okay. skinny fat. You know, you were probably one of these skinny fat people where you're not necessarily big, um, but you're just full of fat, you know, and you've probably just totally changed your body composition around through exercise and through reducing um, poor nutrition and improving what you're putting in. Well, I lost 60 pounds of body weight 
and my pant yeah. size went from 38 to I sort of fluctuate between a 30 and a 32 depending on what brand it is. And the, the, the theory that I have regarding the skeletal bone density, Nick, is that the medication that I was on, it, it, it has a lot of negative side effects. Uh, has iron malabsorption, B12 malabsorption, and calcium. And I oh, think yeah. it was leaching for all of those years, and it's just repurposed. Because yeah. I, this sounds really fucking crazy, but I've got a small filling in my mouth that has healed verified through an x-ray through my dentist and to me um, some people might say oh that's that's baloney but uh it makes perfect sense if you can heal a broken leg why can't a tooth heal yeah. if you're getting the right nutrition yeah yeah well it just goes to show you um, that's where you know you're on some drugs that you know unfortunately the medical field, the GPs and the like, um, are very good at handing out drugs without finding the, the the solution to the problem. And you know, whether that's cholesterol or blood pressure or or any of those cardiovascular risk factors, you know, the the best cure, the best medicine is actually sorting nutrition and physical activity out, and all that will go away. You know, and and that, I, when I'm working with pilots, that's that's always my goal is to get them off all the medication they're on because most of them are on a lot. Um, just to keep flying and keep passing the medical, you know, and sort of like, well, actually, if we just lost 30 kilos, and I, and I say that like it's easy, and I know it's not, yeah. Um, but you you would not know yourself. Um, you know, I've actually got a I've got a pilot that I've worked with for five years that is finally lighter now than he was when he started with Air New Zealand 20 years ago, um, and he's decided to walk the length of New Zealand. Wow. You know, five five years ago, like he was walking upstairs was a challenge, you know, and now he's just set off to walk the length of New Zealand. So it's pretty cool and he's off medication. So, you know, it can be done. That's so great. And and you yeah. do offer individual consulting as well. So for people that want to get their ass kicked by Dr. <laughs> Nick Gill, reach out. Um one of the things I was going to say with regards to the the treating yourself, I I I hundred percent agree and I like I even went through a period um, not that long ago where I cut uh, coffee out for two weeks. It was brutal. So I no drink, no drugs, no gambling, no like like I was like fuck. What's left? The food side of things. I've become insulin resistant because I've beaten my body up for such a long time, and and I need to really manage that. And it, and I do. I slip. I make mistakes. I you know I eat a whole you know, litre of ice cream at times, emotional eating, whatever you want to call it. And on the grand scheme of what I used to do, it's not that bad, I don't think. But I, I understand that I need to get that health under control. Um, for me, sometimes abstinence probably is the better option with regards to a lot of this stuff. Is it sustainable? I'm still working this out. Um, but, you know, we are entering a health crisis globally uh, that we are we are likely to spend like a hundred percent of our GDP in Australia on on type two diabetes alone by the year twenty thirty nine, as verified by Dr James Mukey, who's an ophthalmologist Australian of the Year this year, and so um, I'm very passionate about getting people like you aware of what they're eating, and you know you can lose the weight pretty quickly when you go low carb, high fat. Um, I went from 14.4 to 8.4% body fat in three and a half weeks. Uh, I was a leaner. I got down to about 80 kilos. I'm about five foot eight um, in, in three and a half weeks. And I was exercising a lot, but like that's a phenomenal weight drop. Right. And it just goes to show you, I mean, just picking up on the point you said before about abstinence is some, sometimes the best way. And and I agree on the same Um you know, I'm better off to to not have something than to just have a little bit of it because I sort of it's like the floodgates open, um, and so I totally agree. But but what you will find on the journey you're on, and I'm just just from my experience, is that you'll go through periods where things will things will change. Like you might go off carnivore, but then you might go high fat, low carb, um, and I think that that's that just reinforces the point I made earlier about being agile. Yeah, and adapting and adjusting because your what makes you happy and what makes us healthy, I think you know as we go through life changes, um, and I think we just need to be aware that things change, um, and and figure out well the, the the new me this year two thousand and twenty this is where I'm at, um, what are my challenges you know personally and how am I going to try and 
address them, and it's not always the same answer. Um, you know, even even like you mentioned before about my Ironman, you know, like how I trained for Ironman four years ago is different how I'm training for them now because I'm four years older. You know, it's things change and we have to adapt. Um, it's really easy to just stop doing stuff and stop growing and stop learning and stop experimenting. But I think the only way to stay healthy and happy is to keep to keep learning and keep adapting and adjusting. Um, you know, your body changes, your needs change, your relationships change, work changes, all that changes. So you've got to you've got to change everything else you do as well. Yeah, yeah, you've absolutely nailed it. Uh, and I, and I've even been experimenting, reintroducing some plants just to see how how tolerant I am. You know, I enjoy some onion and and uh, avocado. I know you're an avocado farmer as well. Like I seem to tolerate that a lot better than what I used to now, which is really which is great. You know. And, and I've changed my thinking in life. I'm not dogmatic in this this lifestyle and I will pivot and I'll adjust if it's not working for me and I'll and I'll be so humble that if I work out that if I'm wrong, I'll just put my hand up and say, you know what, I made a mistake, I fucked up. Here's here's the direction I'm going. And I think that's the key to that to that long term success that you're talking about. Yeah, well I think the um I don't think it's a matter of, you know, being wrong. I think that you know, anything anything like this, you know, the, this, the different lifestyles of, of nutrition and eating, I think, um, I don't think there's necessarily a right and a wrong. I think that it's all situational dependent. It's all individually dictated by, you know, like what's right for you right now is everything you're doing seems to be working well. Yeah. And, um, and, and I know that I've had periods of time over the past few years where things are really good and things, you know, not it's not falling off the wagon, but I definitely take a little step sideways or backwards, and then you just have to readjust. Um, and that's just that's just how it is, you know. That's just how it is. I don't think it's right or wrong. It's just like, hey, this suits me really well at the moment, and then I'm going to keep experimenting like you have done to introduce a few more, I suppose, um, nutrients into how you're how you're feeding yourself. Um, and how you might find that you, you narrow down what doesn't work for you and what does, and all of a sudden that's a that's different again. You know, it could be a it could be a, a carnivore with spinach only. You know, sort of sort of lifestyle. <laughs> um, you just don't know. And on the avocados, um, I hope you know that the New Zealand avocados have got way more vitamin B in them than Australian avocados. So make sure you buy the kiwi ones, eh? Ah, are they, are they the ones that are exported out of your backyard? Are they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably some of them might be. Yeah. Are they labelled as the Hass avocados or the yes. Hass? Is that yes. the one? Yeah. I, I must admit the the fruit and vegetables in New Zealand, uh, the organic stuff, absolutely tastes far superior to the Australian uh, fruits, veg, and and um, and I think a lot of the stuff that the research that I've been doing, understanding why maybe plants for me weren't working that well, is that they've They've been selectively bred and a lot of times they've been um, genetically modified in some cases uh, to be more resistant to bugs and, and to grow faster. And, and a lot of the things that they are enhancing are the, the plant's protection mechanism, the anti-nutrients and a lot of that stuff when you've already got compromised gut health can really fuck things up. Because the thing that I'll say about what I've done for the last couple of years, Nick, which I find so interesting, I have gone through significant adversity in my life significant my partner and I my fiance and I've gone through you know pregnancy challenges my business failed like I nearly went bankrupt a couple of times like but I've handled it like a boss because my mental health has been fucking awesome and and I put it down to getting lots of really amazing B vitamins through the meat my gut health is functioning perfect digestion when I eat when I eat clean and and it's empowered me to be more physically active and I'm stronger and faster than I've ever been. You know, I'm training to run a sub three-hour marathon this year, um, which might be a bit of a challenge if there's no marathons to run. But so I'm I'm real excited and I and I love talking to people like you, Nick. Yeah, you know, I think I mean everything you're talking about is just it's it's until you experience it, you don't really you don't really know what 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 it's like, you know, where you have the balance of what you're eating and your physical activity and, and then how it impacts your sleep. Um, you know, those three things, if you get them right um, and, and in good balance the majority of the time, then you can deal with anything, you know, and, and it's and it's when, you know, it's when you um, don't have all that in the, in the right place, then, then, you know, little roadblocks do become big mountains, you know, and really you just need, if, if you're in a good mental space, you just jump over them, you know, yeah. whereas, whereas if you're not, they, you turn them into big mountains and then you're just on a, a downward spiral and, 
And ironically, it's all because you're you're not healthy. You know, you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, and you're not exercising. So, finding exercise, I'm a head case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm. it's my catharsis. Mm, mm. Um, I'm very respectful of your time, Nick. I know we need to wrap this up very, very soon, but uh, it would be remiss of me not to ask you your favourite All Black memory. Oh, oh, okay. Um, probably, probably. Well, I mean, I've had a few. Um, I mean, every time we go to South Africa. Um, after we've been to Argentina, you know, we play the South Africans at their home and we've travelled around the world and we've had three days preparation. We're playing at altitude. It's hot. Um, everything is stacked against us to, to win. Um, and we've had a few games um, where we've won in the last two or three minutes over there and they're hugely special um, because we really have risen against all odds to win. Um, and we've done it the hard way, you know, over the full 80 minutes. Um so they're always really special, um, and especially because that's normally the end of our season and we get to jump on a plane and go home to our families for a couple of weeks. So you sort of get to enjoy those moments and celebrate and then have a long plane ride home to recover. Um, so they're cool, but the, probably the best one is the World Cup final 2015 in England um, where we played the Australians, played the Wallabies, um, and you know in the end we won reasonably convincingly, but... What made it so special is we had um, six or seven of our leaders of our of our of our old guard. It was their last game in the All Black jersey, and um, you know that that being part of the the, the two World Cups that, that up, up to that stage where we'd we'd won the first one in New Zealand. We this was the second one we were winning, so we'd achieved a lot. No one had won a World Cup on foreign soil. No one had backed up a World Cup win. Um, you know, we ended up the last two weeks of the tournament. We ended up, ironically, based at England Rugby's headquarters because they got kicked out of the competition. So it was sort of really surreal. We were, we were, we were living like the English in their base, and um, and yeah. So I was, I, I just remember it just being so special that we'd won it and got to send send off a lot of legends of the game in an amazing fashion. Um, so that was probably, you know probably right up there um, that we did it for them and, and, you know, they got to go away knowing that, you know, their last game was that victory and and, and that it was their second World Cup and it was pretty cool. Yeah, um, there's a few tingles uh, certainly heading down my spine at the moment. I'm sure a few of our listeners will be identifying with this as well. Uh, Nick, what's left on your bucket list before you drop off? <laughs> Well, um, well, I'd like to be part of the All Blacks and win another World Cup. That would be that's that's up there. Um, and I would, I can't wait to be a granddad. Um, but no pressure on my daughters; they're still a wee way away from that. Can't <laughs> wait to be a granddad. Um, and then the third thing is, I'd love to go to Kona um, and race the Ironman World Champs um, and have a crack at you know placing in my age group that would be sort of um that would be pretty special um i can't do that until i finish with the all blacks ironically so because kona is always in the middle of the all black season so yeah that would be cool so there's there's three pretty big things there that that um hopefully i, I tick off in the next 10 years well we know you've already qualified for kona which is an extraordinary achievement for those that don't know anything about iron ironman uh triathlons uh keep your eyes peeled for former world champion Pete Jacobs, who's forging a uh, big comeback, uh, who's adopted a carnival diet. Incidentally, he was on the podcast um, working with Phil Maffetone and oh, yeah. uh, Peter Bruckner as well at times. But uh, it's been an absolute thrill, Nick. And, and if, if there's anything you'd like to finish on before we wrap this bad boy up? No, no, not really. Just thanks for having me. And um yeah, always enjoy chatting to, to, to good people who have um, been on a journey and are, are learning and, and experimenting all the time. So um, thanks for inviting me on this. And, um, yeah, hopefully it's been of some interest to some people. Well, I can assure you that, Nick, and, and we wish you and the All Blacks all the best of luck uh, in the the uh, upcoming season, as weird as it's going to be. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Nick Gill. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel 
or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.